must confess I'm just a backsliding fool I want a break from your loving cup Swear I'll never give you up Steal all your kisses underneath the moon I want to lie here close to you Look what you made me do Darling, you're the reason why I'd wreck, swear, steal, and lie Drink, swear, steal, and lie, and that is a bit of the song from my guest, Michael Peterson. That was a huge hit back in the late 90s from his self-titled debut album. It had that song on it, along with From Here to Eternity, When the Bartender Cries, Too Good to Be True, and a bunch of other songs, including a duet with Travis Tritt called I Finally Passed the Bar. This is just a great album celebrating 20 years now since it was released, and we're going to get into that. And in fact, on that uh, anniversary, there's a brand new album coming out from Michael called Drink, Swear, Steal, and Lie, which has a few songs from that album, and then a bunch of great classic cover songs on it, including songs from Garth that Michael covers, and a cover of Glenn Campbell and Johnny Lee, Looking for Love, is the first release off of it. Tons of stuff to talk about with my guest, Michael Peterson, so let's get chatting. Hey there, Michael. Hi, how are you? I am doing wonderful, and it is so great to have you here. As, as I mentioned before we came on the air, you know I've been a fan of country music and country radio for a long, long time, so I was listening when these songs came out on the radio, and I'm a big fan of yours and your music. Well, thank you very much, and as I've been listening to your show uh, since we were introduced, wow, I just have to applaud you because you're doing a fantastic job of keeping it country and giving the fans what they really want. Wow. Thank you, Michael. I really appreciate that. It's great to hear. And we're going to get into all the great stuff about you. Uh, let's start with Drink, Swear, Steal, and Lie, because what I love about the title, of course, is it takes us down another road when we only hear the title. And then, of course, the song is so clever, it takes each one of those words in a whole different direction. Where did this song mm. come from for you? You know, I, I grew up loving Roger Miller. I mean, Roger Miller was one of my heroes as a songwriter and as an artist. And if you remember just classic Roger Miller songs from King of the Road to uh, You Can't Roller Skate in a Buffalo Herd to Dang Me to Husbands and yep. Wives. I mean, just you could just keep going and going and going with Roger Miller. <laughs> and he always had this uh, wit and this uh, turn of a phrase and these little surprises that made you chuckle. Uh, and, and I just loved that kind of songwriting. And I always... I remember thinking to myself, you know, as I, as I walked into the early 90s and the mid-90s and country music was really just exploding, I just remember thinking, wouldn't it be fun to take a cliche of country music, like, I don't know, right. drinking or, you know, divorce or whatever, and, and turn it inside out, to, to take four words that people are certain that they know what they mean and then show them <laughs> something about those four words that they'd never thought of before. And that was the original yeah. idea. And so, you know, uh, those were the, the, the words that came. And I just thought, wow, what if you could turn those inside out? And I remember sitting, I was, at the time, I, was, I had moved to Nashville with a publishing deal with EMI. And then when I got to Nashville, the publishing deal, I just I decided not to do it because the president of the publishing company had decided to move to another company. So my attorney told me, look, if you can, if you can pass on this deal, pass on it because you don't want to be uh, old, you know, the old business to the new guy coming in. 
So he said, why don't we just, uh-huh. we'll find you another publishing deal, just wait. So I took a job because I want to make some money doing something. So I took a job working from midnight to 6 a.m. at the BP in Belmead. And I was working for seven fifty an hour, stocking shelves from midnight to about 3 in the morning. And then from usually from about 3 to 5, it would be pretty quiet in there. So I would have my guitar behind the counter. I would pull my guitar out and sit there and try to work on songwriting. And, then, you know, sometimes you have, to, you have to lie to yourself, right, to give yourself some encouragement. So I, t- I told myself, <laughs> I have a publishing deal. I'm getting paid seven fifty an hour by PP to write songs. So, uh, so I, you know, sitting there watching, um, watching this guy with the big tanker truck uh, refill the gas tanks one night, I started playing this thing that felt like a bluegrass kind of a groove, and I thought, wow, I really like that. And I'm not a bluegrass player per se, but I really like the feel of it. And originally, Drink Smart Steel and Line was written sort of more like a bluegrass tune. And, uh, and of oh, course, you know, uh, in sh- pretty short order after that, it was I guess it was about a month and a half later, I got my first publishing deal with Warner Chapel, and, and uh, that was one of the first songs I brought to the table that helped me get my deal. Such a great song and such a great debut at radio that started things off. Uh, another song on that album, uh, From Here to Eternity, of course, went on to become a wedding song. And from what I've read, and I knew that this was up there as far as top wedding songs of all time, but uh, there's some chart where it is number four of all time wedding songs, Michael? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's on, uh, I believe, I believe, uh, do quote me on this, but I believe it was a GAC website. Um, wow. that they had to chosen from here to eternity is the number four uh, country wedding song of all time. And recently, as recently as about a month ago, the number 16 all-time country music love song, which I was stunned. Oh. You know I mean, that's a lot of songs to pull from. So it's one of those songs, yeah. you know, that, uh, and I don't say that in a bragging way. I say that in a way of astonishment, really, like, Really? Like you don't, you know, right. when you write a song like that, you, you know what you want to have accomplished with it. You, you have no idea what it's going to accomplish in the lives of others. And I think the reason why it's been chosen and recognized at that level is because it has had such a deep impact in the lives of so many people. And that's really, mm-hmm. you know, beyond me. That's a that's a blessing, and I just receive it uh, with gratitude. It's amazing to know that a song that you wrote uh, has that staying power and that meaning in so many people's lives, wedding songs and songs they listen to and reminisce with. It is. Does the title you know, come told, from? Told, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I've, I've told so many people uh, in the last three or four years that have been, you know, it's been 20 years, right? So right. I, I, a lot of people are now that got married to our songs are coming around asking if, I, if we have a good divorce song. <laughs> you know, that's a silly thing, but, um, you know, just funny. Because you become a part of people's lives. I, I still, every month, people will write me an email or send me a Facebook post or something to say, hey, we're getting married. We're going to use your song. This makes me smile. Yeah, that is a great thing. And I was going to ask you about the title. Now, there was a movie, From Here to Eternity. Is that kind of a spin off of that phrase or expression, or how did you come up with the title of, of the song and the hook? You know, I was in a video store in uh, Washington State before I moved to Nashville. You know, back in the days when VHS ruled the air, ruled the TV waves, you know. Yep. And, you know, VHS <laughs> tapes. And, and I saw this uh, From Here to Eternity, which, of course, was the great, successful uh, Frank Sinatra, movie that Frank Sinatra starred in, you know. And I just mm-hmm. remember thinking to myself, well, 
you know, I of course I didn't know. I'd never seen the movie. I didn't know that there was a theme song for the movie called From Here to Eternity. I just thought that sounded right. like a fun title. So I tucked that away in my hookbook. And about, I don't know, about two years later, two and a half years later, I was in, you know, in Nashville working with Robert Ellis Oral, who was one of the co-producers on my first album and my second album, right. Warners. And, uh, and I said, man, I got this idea. And I had a little bit of a melody and bang, off we went. And our whole premise when we sat down to write it was there's, there's a lot of wedding songs, like the moment that the wedding happened songs. But we'd mm-hmm. never heard a song that the guy who was nervous too nervous to even pop the question could use to help him to pop the question. And we, we imagined at that time, cassettes were still a big thing, right? So we imagined yep. this guy sitting up on top of lover's lane. <laughs> he's got his girlfriend with him. He wants to ask her to marry him, but he's too nervous to, to, to spit the words out. So he says to her, just, she says, well, what's going on? He says, well, just listen to this. And he pushes in the cassette, right? And then the song comes on. And yeah. at the end of the song, he pulls out the ring, and he just looks at her. And she goes, wow, you just <laughs> proposed to me. So that was what we had hoped for. And doggone right. it, it didn't happen, you know. And, and it happened, and, and since gone on to become uh, one of the top wedding songs of all time. Uh, before we move on from this album, I want to talk about one more song from it. And again, remind our listeners, uh, it's your self-titled debut album from 1997, it's at iTunes. Our listeners should go and download this or, or buy the album wherever you can buy albums from, CDs from, because there's so many great songs from start to end on this that are still, uh, still great to listen to. Uh, so the one I wanted to ask you about is the duet with Travis Tritt, I Finally Passed the Bar, and another <laughs> comedic line and turn of phrase. And the two of you doing this together, first of all, how did Travis Tritt become part of this song? Well, at the time, uh, Travis and I were managed by the same guys, uh, John Goodman and Gary Falcon, Falcon Goodman Management. And they managed Travis, and they managed me. And as my album was being made, uh, Gary and John came to me one day and said, hey, what do you think about Travis doing a duet with you on this? Of course, you know, I mean, it wasn't a year and a half earlier that I was living in outside Seattle, Washington, sitting on the tailgate of my pickup truck, listening to songs like Here's a Quarter, Call Someone Who Cares, or The Country Club, or all these great hits yep. of Travis Tritt's. So, so to have them come to me and say, hey, do you want to do a duet with Travis Tritt? I was beside <laughs> myself. I couldn't believe yeah. it. It was fantastic, you know, and, and we had so much fun doing it together. It was great. And what a clever title for the song. Of course, it's not about a couple of lawyers. It's about a bar, mm-hmm. an actual bar passing it. Tell, tell me how that hook yeah. came about. You know, honestly, I, I'd like to say that it was my hook because, you know, it's nice to take the credit, but I'm not certain. <laughs> um, I, I wrote the song with Buddy Brock and with Michael Purrier. And I think, I think it was my hook, but I'll tell you, the guys who really made a huge difference in writing that song, boy, Buddy Brock. I mean, Buddy Brock wrote a lot of big hits, among them Watermelon Crawl for uh, Tracy Bird and right. a lot of other big hits. Yeah. And I remember that it was one of the funnest songwriting appointments I'd ever had in my life, even to this day. We just sat around and laughed all day. And it <laughs> just flowed. And we laughed and we just thought, oh, there's another good one. You know, so it was just one of those pleasurable experiences to do. And such a, uh, the format for the song, the musical format for the song is such a familiar setting. So to take mm-hmm. in something that is a familiar setting and an idea about a bar 
and put a twist on it. It just you know, it's just fun because you'd watch people hear the songs and then you'd see a big smile get on their face, and it was just really yeah. really fun. That's awesome. Great duet with Travis Tritt from that album. Uh, and before we turn away from it and move on to uh, other stuff, including influences, songwriting, and your brand new album that's coming up, we'll play Drink, Swear, Steal, and Lie, which is also the title track of uh, the brand new album that you are putting out. So let's hear it now from my guest, Michael Peterson on In the Country. Twelve when daddy said to me Don't take to drinking, boy, that road don't lead nowhere And don't you ever let me hear you swear Don't you dare He told me stealing is a lazy man's way Something for nothing leaves you hell to piss it don't lie and you can look the whole world in the eye oh, Honey, I try Since I met you, girl, I'm breaking every rule I must confess I'm just a backsliding fool I wanna break from your loving cup Swear I'll never give you up Steal all your kisses underneath the moon song from Michael Peterson. We first heard it on the radio around 97, 98, part of his self-titled debut album. Uh, and what a great song. That's got to be fun, I'm sure, to this day to still perform. People still enjoy it, and I bet you do as well. You know, it's, it, there are four words that seem to be iconic, and people have fun twisting them around. I, I got a text today from a guy that said he loved that song of mine, Steal, Cheat, Lie, and, 
and and he couldn't remember the third one. You know, <laughs> so they remember. They remember. It's like, wow, what was that again? But it, it's something that stays in people's minds, some version of it, you know. And I think it's because mm-hmm. it, you know, captures uh, sort of the essence of what how a lot of people look at country music. But instead of stopping there, it, of course, it opens up I, another way of looking at it. I, it's funny though. I remember there was uh, some friends of mine, uh, you know, that were buddies of mine before I got into country music that were very involved in church and they're youth pastors. And some of them were stunned when they saw this song title, you know. They were, what, right. what, what, what's going on with that? Well, you know, then when they got to hear the song, they realized it was a love song. It wasn't about that at all. So it's just one of those songs that causes a strong reaction in people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, very clever, very clever. Uh, and it, it's now the title of uh, your new album. And let's get to that in a few moments, and then uh, we'll talk about the cover songs on it, as well as uh, some past songs of yours. But uh, let's talk about your influences, Michael. When you were growing up and when you started to pursue music, who were the artists that were inspiring you and making you want to make music? Glenn Campbell. I mean, he has down songs like Wichita Lineman by the time I get to Phoenix. I mean, I mean seriously, like, if he had never done anything else, the dreams of an everyday housewife. Yeah. I mean, just classic, you know, classic, classic so many songs that to this day are still popular because those songs are so extraordinary and the arrangements and Glenn's voice. I mean, it was mm-hmm. just, you know, artists like Glenn Campbell, you know, they were, he was an actor, a singer, uh, an amazing communicator, a writer, a great player. I mean, this guy was everything that you'd ever want to be, a good-looking guy. Uh, he had a gentle spirit about him, but, you know, you could tell he was a leader. Uh, Willie Nelson, another huge influence for me. Uh, the album, the Stardust record that he made, which, you know, really was groundbreaking because it was, you know, the songs of Hoagie Carmichael and Cole Porter and uh, uh, Harold Arlen and Yip Harburg. And, I mean, all these Tin Pan Alley songwriters that had written these songs in the American, uh, you know, the American standard, what we call the this American standards or the standards handbook, handbook or music book. Um, th- these are the great American songbook, I guess, if you will. But, you know, here comes Willie showing where that line is between, you know, these great songs and then what, you know, mm-hmm. became Bob Wills when you think about swing music. I mean, swing music came out of big band music, you know, and Bob Wills right. came out of the influence of, you know, the Tommy Dorsey Orchestra and the guys like that. But then here came the Texas spin on it. So, you know, here you had Bob Wills and the Texas Playboys. And, and so he was really mining the gold that was in that space, you know. And, and I, I had grown up being in vocal jazz choirs. So I knew all of this stuff in the American songbook and uh, the, the great songbook of American or songwriting from the 40s to, let's say, the 60s, you know, in New York City around the Brill Building. And I just, I just love this kind of music. And to see Willie show me something I hadn't seen before, which was the connection between these songs and country music, it, it just right. captivated me, you know. And, and I just always loved songs, you know, when I picked up albums when I was a kid growing up, I wasn't trying to dress like any of those artists or act like them or play their music even. I, I was interested in who wrote the songs, you know. Right. And, uh, and I was always just captivated by the songwriters. So really, songwriters were as many great influences on me as anything else. But I'd have to say Willie, uh, or Keith, Keith Willie, great influence on me. Oh, yeah. Um, golly, who else? Uh, of course, Merle Haggard. 
I mean, these are all the, these are the country songwriters and artists that caught my attention and sustained it even to this day. And, and it's incredible because a lot of that flows into your writing. You mentioned Merle Haggard, Haggard and when I think back to the album, your debut album, there's a great song, You Know You're in Trouble When the Bartender Cries. And that's about as country as a song can get and so well written. Yeah. Oh, well, thanks. Well, you know, if you think about a great song, I mean, when you think about great songs, truly, a great song has the ability often to be recorded in a number of different genres. So you hear a song like Hank, Hank Sr.'s I'm So Lonesome I Could Cry. Mm-hmm. You, can, you, you can and will hear pop versions of that, jazz versions of that, yep. rock versions of that, country versions of that. Um, you, it's just it's a classic song, you know. And when I look back at the artists from the 70s and the early 80s, the singer-songwriters, guys like Dan Fogelberg, James Taylor, I mean, the list is Jim Croce. You know, if those guys were making records today, for the most part, I mean, I know James Taylor still is, but Dan Fogelberg, God rest his soul, and Jim Croce the same. Mm -hmm. But their music would likely be played in the country format. And so those great influences, Harry Chapin, Don McLean, Gordon Lightfoot, I mean, the great Gordon Lightfoot. Mm -hmm. Is there anybody better, right? So these guys were really... They were my core influences, you know, and, and when I think about where country music is today and the kinds of what, what country music fans love, they love great storylines, great melodies, timeless themes, and music that's acoustic-based. That's country music today. Well, that's what those guys were doing in the 70s and the early 80s. And, uh, you know, as I look forward to the future of my recording career, you know, I'm going to bring those more of those influences to bear. And you do that on the uh, brand new album that is coming out. It's coming out March 31st. There's a album release party, April 9th in Nashville. Uh, people will be hearing about this album, of course, and we'll be able to get it to iTunes and other places, but there'll be a lot of press about it as well. But uh, let's get into that because it's called drink, swear, steal and lie. We're about 20 years later since that song was released. Uh, and we've got Too Good to Be True on here, From Here to Eternity. And then there's a lot of cover songs, and we'll get into each of these, or a lot of them, but I'll just throw out some of the names. You're doing Garth's Friends in Low Places, Glenn Campbell, Wichita Lineman, uh, Johnny Cash, sure. a boy named Sue, uh, and the current single that is out from the album, Johnny Lee, Looking for Love. Maybe let's start with that one, because anybody, even if you're not a country music fan, back in the day, Looking for Love was just a song that really, I don't know if it, legitimately crossed over, but everybody knew this song. You know, it's because of the movie, uh, Urban That's Cowboy. Right. I mean, it was such a hugely popular movie. And that song, uh, you know, was one of the cornerstones, if not, you know, what many people considered to be the theme song of that movie, because mm-hmm. it really captured the storyline, you know, of John Travolta and uh, uh, Deborah uh, Winger. And, uh, yep. you know, just, you know, one of those songs that, you know, if you think about every one of the of the covers on this record, I, I can't think of other cover versions. Like, tell me another cover version of Friends in Low Places. Tell me another cover version of Looking for Love. I mean, they just mm-hmm. aren't because they're such iconic songs. And to be honest with you, I, I probably wouldn't have covered them either. You know, if I hadn't been <laughs> a part of a show in Branson, Missouri, where I'd been singing these songs 400 times in about a little less than two years. 
And, and wow. yeah, over, when you sing a song that many times in front of, uh, you know, great audiences there in Branson, well, you just start to feel like, well, you really have your own version of those songs. And so when yeah. we went to make the record, I was still a musical director for the rating the country vault in Branson, Missouri. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I just thought, you know, if I make this record with my hits on it, and then these great songs that I sing in the show, all these songs were songs that I were singing in the show. I thought, you know what, if nothing else, the folks that come to our show will love to buy it. And of course, the album, the early reviews on it were so uh, promising and compelling. I just realized I couldn't stay in Branson and give this record the attention that I felt like it deserved. And so I resigned from the show in Branson. And uh, now we have an album that has these greatest hits of other people as well as mine. And boy, a lot of people are asking that question. Why on an album commemorating your 20th anniversary in country music would you do cover songs of all these other artists and you know simply it really comes down to this over the years i had so many fans then friends that wrote me and said hey have you ever thought about covering some of the most popular songs in country music and i would always say well why would you want me to do that and there's one line (laughs) that keeps staying in my mind that a fan said one day and i heard other people express it in a hundred other ways but that person said to me hey we love to hear our favorite country singers singing our favorite country songs. That's so true. That is such a true statement. Yeah, yeah so I just thought, you know what? I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this finally. I'm going to give them what, what was such a great idea. I want to give it back to them and say, well, here's my, here's my uh, best shot at giving you what you asked for. Was it tough to narrow down, Michael, the songs that you, because there's tons of them I know you would be able to think of that you would enjoy and sure. want to cover, to, to the ones that you actually got on here. There's probably a volume two uh, at some point down the road, I'm sure. Well, I would hope there would be. Um, these are the songs that I sang in the show in Branson. So, I mean, it was just, it was like, no, those are the ones I'll do. I mean, I, you know, you sing a song 400 right. times in two years, <laughs> you, you really get to know it. And I felt confident yeah. in my, my delivery of those songs. And really, I meant them as a tribute. I mean, every night I would stand on stage, and before I would sing Wichita Lineman, I would just pause for a moment, and I would picture Glenn Campbell in my mind, and I would just imagine that maybe he was listening. And it just, I just a tribute from, from my heart, a heartfelt tribute to these great artists, because, hey, listen, there's only one Glenn Campbell, one Johnny Cash, you know, uh, one Charlie Rich, you know, one Johnny Lee. I mean, there's these guys are the originals, and uh, you know I am doing my best to honor them and pay tribute to them. And you have a real appreciation for songs that are humorous. Obviously, "Drink, Swear, Still and Lies" we've talked about, but on the album, the cover of Johnny Cash, "A Boy Named Sue." But not only that, but mm-hmm. a song that I know it's been around a while. I hadn't heard it before. Uh, my own grandpa is the name of the song. <laughs> but when I was at yeah. Don Graham's CD release party in the last couple of months, he covered that song. And, of course, you need yeah. a chart to figure out how everybody's related and connected and the whole thing happens. Right. But I, this is such a funny I song. Know. And they're kind of, they're not similar, but they're both very humorous kind of songs. Well, they are. They are uh, part and parcel of what is great humor in country music. Surprising, number one. Um, Mm -hmm. Intricate, number two. I mean, these are smart songs. (laughs) A friend of mine said one time that, um, you know, a great country song looks and sounds simple, right? But the greatest songwriters, 
uh, guys like Shel Silverstein who wrote A Boy Named Sue. Come on. I mean, that's, that's a classic, yeah. right? You know you've never heard it before the first time you hear it, and yet it sounds as familiar as an old rock. You know, it's just, it's just one of those kind of yep. songs. And so, you know, these are great classic songs. And, you know, you mentioned Don Graham, and I just have to say, hey, God bless Don Graham. Don Graham's a remarkable guy, and if your listeners mm-hmm. haven't heard his new album and his new song, I just called him Dad. Wow, you want yeah. to check that out. I'm a big, big fan of Don Graham, and I want to thank him for introducing us. Absolutely. He's the one that put us in touch, and as you said, he's a great guy, and uh, his song, I Just Called Him Dad, is so well-written. He wrote it himself, of course, and, and sings it in an amazing song. Yeah. Great guy. And, and this is awesome. So we've talked about so many of the songs now on the album. Uh, we've also got, as you mentioned, Charlie Rich, and the song from Charlie is The Most Beautiful Girl. Hey, did you happen to see The Most Beautiful Girl in the yeah. World? One of my favorite songs growing up. I love Charlie Rich. Uh, tell me about choosing that song. I know you did it in the show, of course, but what is so special about uh, this song to you? Hey, you know, when I was 15 years old, I had a crush on a girl that lived in the town right next to ours. And one of her best friends was a DJ at the local country music station. And at the time, he was about 17 years old, a young guy, and he was a contemporary of mine and a friend of mine. And he was a DJ in the afternoon show on KALE Radio uh, in Richland, Washington. And, uh, and, you know, at the time, Charlie Rich's most beautiful girl in the world had been a big hit, had crossed over to the pop chart. And, and I remember, uh, calling him and asking during the dedication hour, you know, if I could dedicate this song <laughs> to this girl right. when, you know, really at 15, what I really wanted to know was, you know, what Charlie Rich was talking about when he said, no one, no one knows what goes on behind closed <laughs> <Right>. doors. <laughs> but, you know, uh, just fun <laughs> memories for me of that song. You know, when I think of that song, I think of Freddie, Freddie Fender, Wasted Days and Wasted Nights, Merle Haggard, The Okie from Muskogee. I mean, mm-hmm. th- these are songs that crossed over to the pop charts because yeah. people love these songs. Like they cross over the genres. It didn't matter, right? It was amazing. Oh, incredible. Let's turn to one of those songs from the album, then we have more to talk about. I'm going to ask you about the song that the Imperials recorded of yours from 1993 uh, called Take Your Love for Granite. And let's uh, hear the song now, though, the Johnny Lee cover that you do called Looking for Love. This is Michael Peterson on In the Country. Dreaming of hoping to find a friend 
I did everything I could to get me through the night. Mm. Don't know where it started or where it might end. I turned to a stranger just like a friend. I was looking for love in all the wrong places, looking for love in two Traces of what I'm dreaming of Hoping to find a friend and a lover I bless the day I discover another heart Looking for love And that is my guest, Michael Peterson, with Looking for Love, of course, made famous by Johnny Lee and from the movie Urban Cowboy. And uh, that is part of his album coming out on March 31st called Drink, Swear, Steal, and Lie. And we're going to talk more about the album. But I mentioned before we played that great song, uh, the Imperials back in 1993 recorded one of your songs called Taking Your Love for Granted. Now, how did that happen? How did you get, that? How did you get your song in their hands? It's so funny because, honestly, that was a pivotal moment in my life. I'd been writing songs for well over 10 years, and I would go to Nashville and, of course, had the typical thing happen to me that happens to so many young writers. You know, people either won't listen to your music, or if they do listen to your music, they tell you that, you know, you're not there yet. And I had been going to Nashville every year, you know, for years, and, and I just had gotten to a place where I was pretty discouraged. But I'd written hundreds of songs, you know, and, you know, I wrote 20, 30 songs a year, you know, just because I was a songwriter and mm-hmm. I, you know, it was a time in my life when, when the only people that really liked my songs were my friends and they had two of the pizza stayed in the refrigerator, you know what I'm saying? So, um, <laughs> exactly. you know, it was one of those things where I was really at a point of, of I actually had made an application to, uh, to join the police department in Seattle and mm-hmm. I'd already taken the physical test and passed it. And I was ready to take the written test and my phone rang one day and it was, uh, it was a, a guy that worked for the, the uh, great gospel publisher, Bill Gaither. I'm sure a lot of your listeners know about Bill Gaither's music. And and, uh, and I was stunned, like, why are you calling me? He said, well, we have this song of yours. 
and the Imperials would like to record this song, and we need to get a mechanical license from you. And I'm like, wait a minute, how did you get the song? And he said, I have no idea how we got the song. Well, I chased down to try to find out how they got the song, and as it turns out, uh, a friend of mine that I had co-written the song with was a guitar player who happened to be touring with the great Denise Williams. You know, uh, too much, too little, too late. Let's hear it for the boy, Denise yep. Williams. Yeah. And they had done a tour with the Imperials. Well, he was pitching our songs to the Imperials. So he had ah. given a cassette with his songs and my songs on it. And the one they picked was a song that he and I and Kenny Lamar had written together called taking your love for granted and of course you know we of course we said yes they could uh, record the song and boy within six months it was a single and within six months of that it became my first number one song on any chart <laughs> uh as a songwriter and it was really that that re-inspired me and the catalyst for me to say you know what i can't give up you know i remember thinking at the time when it went to number one wow here's a song i've had for 10 years that I must have played for dozens of publishers and they had all passed on it. And yet it went to number one and I realized, wow, I've been a hit songwriter for 10 years. I just didn't know it. Right. It's funny, but it's so true because that journey of a song, which case in point there, uh, I guess one, one side of the coin is it's discouraging, but the other side is, as you said, you really are a hit songwriter. A lot of people out there, but the, the time hasn't come for a song. Yeah, yeah, and it's funny. You know, I, there's a song that I wrote years ago called "From the Grave to the Cradle," and it's basically a song about what would it, what would life look like if we could live life backwards, sort of mm. like uh, the movie "The Curious Case of Benjamin Button." But we wrote right. the song about three years before that movie came out, and I'd never heard the story. I'd seen an episode of Seinfeld where George was talking about what if we could live life backwards instead of forwards. That's that's where that idea sprang from, <laughs> and. Uh, and it's a song that's been on hold for everybody. Big, the biggest artists in country music have had this song on hold. It's never been cut yet. But it's one of those songs that I won't be the least bit surprised if someday it becomes a big hit. It's just sort of the way it works with songs. Songs have a life and a curve. And, uh, you know, a lot of great songs that the world will never hear, sadly. Um, but, you know, yeah. songs have a way of finding their own place. And for you with songwriting, Michael, can you take us back on that journey, the songwriting journey, how it began for you when you first picked up your guitar and started to sing some words and, and start to write some of your first songs? Yeah, you bet. Uh, I was 17 years old, and a tragedy happened in my life. In fact, tragedy happened in my life when I was 15. My uh, birth father was shot to death by his business partner. And my stepfather, when I was 17 who had been become my adopted father, uh, he took his life in an argument with my mother. And so I found myself about a week and a half after I buried my, my adopted dad. I was standing in uh, the Bon Marche in uh, the Columbia Center Mall in the Tri-Cities, Washington, where I grew up. And they had this little rack of records. Bon Marche wasn't really known as a record store, but they had a record rack in there for some reason. And there was an album that from about 30 feet away, just the album cover artwork caught my attention. I walked over, I looked at it, I picked it up. And it was sort of a dark, uh, really somber kind of an album cover, thoughtful, thought-provoking, emotional album cover. Well, it was an album called called Netherlands by uh, the great Dan Fogelberg. Right. And it was that album that I began, I bought, I just felt compelled mm -hmm. 
to, to buy this record. And so I began to listen to this record, and it really became in many ways the soundtrack of my journey to find some healing on the, on the heels of the losses in my life. And it was during that time I was so deeply moved by this music that, that I thought, well, I wonder if I could express my emotions the way that this great artist, Dan Fogelberg, and so many other artists were doing. I wondered, could I, could I say how I'm feeling in a song in a way that would make me feel better and maybe, maybe inspire other people too? And that's honestly, that's where it started for me, with Dan Fogelberg and that album produced by the great Norbert Putnam. That's amazing, and uh, Dan Fogelberg, an amazing artist, had so many wonderful songs out and, and, and really had an impact on your life, as you just mentioned, just incredibly powerful. You also mentioned Norbert Putnam as the producer, uh, and I'll be interviewing Norbert, which uh, everybody will be able to hear, and that'll be quite the interview because his career spans so many years and so many artists. And talk about Norbert and you, because uh, you guys have a connection, and I know as, before we came on the uh, show here, you mentioned he's going to be producing an upcoming album of yours. Yeah. Well, you know, I thank you for asking because Norbert Putnam is a true gentleman and one of the classic, great, great music guys of all time. Really. I mean, when you have him on your show and you, you share with the, the, your listeners, the, the breadth and the depth of this guy's impact, it, it covers everything from songwriters to great artists, to building studios uh, to arrangements and arrangers and careers right. that he influenced from Jimmy Buffett and Dan Fogelberg and Elvis Presley. And I mean, the yeah. list is just astounding, you know, <laughs> and now he's written an incredible book. I mean, the guy yep. is just one of the most talented and one of the finest men that I'll ever get the chance to meet. And his profound impact on music, obviously I was in the wake of that. And uh, so, you know, several years ago, I had heard that they were doing a Dan Fogelberg tribute record, and I had written this song, really from the depth of my heart, watching Dan's career. I had written a song that was a tribute to him. And just on a, on a whim, I guess, or on an intuition, based upon intuition, I reached out to Norbert through Facebook. And he was, told him who I was and told him that I had a song I'd like him to hear. And he was kind enough to write me back and, and get on the phone with me. And boy, we just hit it off right away. And over the course of, I don't know, maybe a year, we got to know each other a little bit. And one day I asked him, I said, hey, would you, would you produce my, my version of this song so I could submit it for this uh, Dan Fogelberg tribute record? And, but, you know, he said, yes, he would. So, you know, we mm. went to Nashville. We recorded the song in a studio where Dan had done a lot of work. Many of the players who had played on Dan's records played on this tribute that I did. Uh, uh, you know, Norbert played on the record, produced it. Uh, guys who sang on Dan's record sang on this record. So for me, it was it was a dream come true, really. And uh, then, you know, the song was finished, and we got it mastered and ready to go. And, and you know, Gene Fogelberg, and I think rightfully so, you know, made a decision that the songs that would be on that tribute record, which is a fantastic record, um, mm -hmm. that the songs on that album should be songs that Dan wrote, not any, not any other right. outside songs. And so sure. what happened in the process was it, that... Uh, uh, Norbert and I got a chance to become friends and you know one day we were talking about it and he agreed that he would be interested in producing an album for me so you know uh, already beginning to gather songs on that and, and looking forward to making that record hopefully in the next year and a half or so. Incredible and do you think that song that you wrote about Dan Fogelberg 
might surface on that album? Would have to be. <laughs> Would have to be on the record. It just <laughs> the genesis of the whole thing, right? So. Yeah. Such a great story, and great to know we'll hear that that song. Has your writing changed much over the years, Michael, or your style? You know, I think what you'll get is you'll get uh, songs that still have the same core values. You know, I love great melodies. I love great stories. I love uh, songs that have ideas that are surprising and interesting. It'll be, a, you know, acoustic-based. It'll have, you know, all the elements that you would think of when you think about great singer-songwriters. And, uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think anybody will be um, shocked or stunned or, or disappointed. It'll be right in my wheelhouse. Um, nice. When I think about, you know, my journey as a songwriter, what, before I ever went to Nashville, I just I wrote 20 songs, 25 songs a year by myself. Then I moved to Nashville and, uh, you know, for almost the better part of 15 years, I guess, in Nashville, 17 years that I lived there, um, you know, I wrote mostly co-writing. I seldom wrote by myself. So I, I don't live in Nashville anymore. I live in Las Vegas. And so being away from Nashville and being, you know, in a place now where I'm starting to write more on my own, I feel like I've come full circle. So this summer from, I would say, the middle of to the end of June through maybe to the middle of September, I had an explosion of creativity, one that I haven't experienced anything like that probably since about 1996. I, I completed, I didn't start all of these songs from scratch, but I completed songs in about a two-month period. And I just wow. felt like a new, a new well was bursting forth in my creativity. And, and I could, it felt honestly, like, like you said, full circle. It felt like I was coming back to a place where I originally yeah. started, except the difference was this time, I now had a toolbox, metaphorically speaking, full of great yep. tools and a deeper understanding of how to write great songs from my, my years in Nashville. And so this whole new batch of songs is just, it was, I was, they were coming so fast, I, I didn't even feel like I was writing them, really. I felt like I was just writing them down. And now, the last couple of months, yeah. I'm trying to learn them all because I didn't spend a lot of time with them. I have to go back and visit them and go, can I play that song again? So it's just been it's been a really special time for me. What a great concept! I've heard that before. Uh, in certain cases, where I guess the other expression is the song wrote itself, and it, as you said, it's yeah. flowing through the pen. You're just writing it down. That's got to be a great feeling when it feels that inspired, and it's coming from such a natural place that you're not yeah. forcing it out. It's just kind of it's coming out, and then of course you're probably rewriting to make it sound. Uh, smoother, but the initial stuff that's sure. flowing out is just coming out raw. Yeah. Well, you know, the funny thing is there's a, there's a book by a woman. Um, what was her name? Um, I wanted to say Madeline Lingle, but that's not it. I don't have it. I have it right here in front of me. Yes, I do. It's a book by a woman named Anne Lamott. A-N-N-L-A-M-O-T-T. -T. It's a book called Bird by Bird. And I have to credit Anne Lamott's book, Bird by Bird, with getting me back to the place where I could write like that again. One of the things she said, it's a book, it's a book for writers, not songwriters necessarily, it's just writers, creative people. And it's a, basically the, the subtitle of the book says some instructions on writing and life. And so, you know, there's great stories in there. And one of the things she tell, tells in this, in, the, in this book is talking to writers about how to quit thinking about it so much. Quit, quit laboring over it so deeply. 
You know, um, follow your instincts. Trust your first feelings. And as I read this book last year, I just began to get inspired, and I thought, you know what I'm going to do? <laughs> what I'm going to do is I'm going to list all of my song ideas in alphabetical order, and I'm going to sit down every day. I'm going to start sitting down every day, and I'm going to start at the first A, and I'm going to go all the way through the Z, right? And, boy, as I began to do that, I mean, there was, there was more ideas than I could literally go through in 10 <laughs> years, really, because I've been a voracious collector of ideas. But what I did was right. I decided that I wouldn't spend more than about a minute or two looking at an idea. And so if, mm-hmm. it didn't, if I didn't know what to do with it next, if I didn't have something inside of me that said, hey, I know what to do with that, I wouldn't spend any more time on it that day. I would go to the next idea. And so I just started working through from A to Z. And when I would land on something where I went, oh, I know right to do with, what to do with that, I would, wouldn't second guess it. I would write down what came to me. And as soon as I didn't have any other ideas with it, I'd move on to the next thing. And that is how, over a two-month period, I finished over 50 songs. What an incredible approach to doing this. Now, when you mention A to Z, uh, are you talking about ideas you've already got that you put in alphabetical order, or are you coming up with yes. ideas based on yes. those letters as you go down the alphabet? Well, no, ideas. You know, one of the habits that I think great songwriters, many of them have, and that they've nurtured in their life, is they become great observers of life. And when I was in my early 20s, man, I started writing everything down in notebooks. I mean, if I if a line caught my attention in a newspaper, if I overheard a conversation, if I saw something on the news, I didn't. I realized I didn't have to know why it attracted me. If it just attracted me, I wrote it down. So when I got right. to this last two years and decided that I had a chance to realize that I had a chance to make a record with Norbert Putnam, it's a dream come true for me. Really, I'm not just saying that. I thought, you know what? I've got to write some new music. And so what I did was I got back to my notebooks starting in the 80s. And I went through every (laughs) single notebook. I dug out all my old cassette tapes and mini discs and started going through them. And basically what I did was I cataloged and indexed every idea back 30 years that I thought had some merit. And I ended up with a database of about about 1,600 titles or pieces of music that I had started. I mean, I was listening to cassette tapes that I made in 1981, 82, 83, <laughs> you know, that had snippets of a melody or a snippet of a verse. And, you know, there was a lot of stuff that I just thought, oh, it doesn't, really doesn't hold up. But there was about a little over 1,500 ideas that I thought, yeah, it still had some merit. And those were the hey, ideas that's great. that I alphabetized. And I just started yeah. working through them. And honestly, I, I don't think I've gotten past about E or F because – <laughs> I just started putting myself, and you know, one day I would look at an idea, and I would have nothing. And then that afternoon, I'd be driving, going somewhere, and suddenly I'd get an idea about the thing I looked at in the morning and had nothing on. So I'd grab my phone and speak the idea into my phone. I mean, that's how it was. I decided I wasn't right. going to labor over it. I was just going to receive it as it came. And that the book that you mentioned, uh Sounds like it really started that inspiration, as you said. And and uh, the author is Anne Lamott. Yes, Anne Lamott. Amazing book. Anybody who's listening who's a writer or who wants to be a writer and loves somebody that writes that makes you laugh, this is one of the funniest books I've read in a long time. She's <laughs> unabashed, she's straightforward, and she's deeply inspiring. 
What was the name of the book again, Michael? Bird by Bird. Bird by Bird. Perfect. I, I love it when we can pass something on to our listeners that uh, might yeah. be a great tool. And, and songwriting tools in general are things you could pass on, Michael, beyond, as you mentioned, sort of being free and open to the ideas. Is there any one or two concepts of songwriting or philosophies you have or approaches, ways to get ideas flowing um, that you'd like to pass on to anyone listening? I think the thing that I just said earlier, which is, Nurture the habit of listening and writing it down. Mm. Because every day you see and hear interesting things if you begin to look for them. And there are things that people that aren't paying attention, they just they forget them. But if you write it down, you won't forget it. Yeah, yeah. And that way when you, so go, true, when you sit down to write a song yeah. and, and you say, well, you know, I mean, people say, well, how do you write a song? You sit in a room and wait to be inspired? No, I don't think that's how you do it. You... Capture inspiration when you see it. You write it down so that when you sit down to write, you have ideas that moved you, that meant something to you, that you know that they meant something to you. They might mean something to others. So when you start to write a song, you aren't starting with a complete blank slate. You have ideas. There's a great quote I read one time that said a publisher, a songwriting publisher, is somebody who's looking for somebody that has something to say. Right. So have something to say. Yeah. Write down the have an opinion. Have a thought. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I, you know, I I remember being in my early, early twenties, and I saw a book by a guy named George Seldes, S E L D E S, and it was a quotation book. You know, great quotes. We see those all the time, and it was a Mm -hmm. book called Great Quotes, and I remember a thought ran through my mind. Wow, if you want to think great thoughts. You ought to read great thoughts. And so yeah. over the years, I, again, nurtured the habit of like, you know, some people would read a, a novel. You know, I would read the quote book. I mean, I'd read the quote book from cover mm-hmm. to cover. You know, and I probably have a dozen of them that over the years I've read them all cover to cover. And and there's wow. something about that that had a, um, I don't know, a transformational effect on my understanding of turning a phrase and mm-hmm. how to sort of put things in a tight format, you know. Um, I say, just, you know, so nurture the habits uh, of, of exposing yourself to great thinking because, you know, I'm not going to have all the great thoughts, but I can sure be inspired by other people that had great thoughts and maybe I can pass those along. Mm-hmm. And then when you come to be a writer, have something to say, well, you know, I'm not going to generate, you know, the great thoughts for everybody to hear all by myself. So having something to say means, you know, read a lot, read, read books, you know, yeah. write stuff down. Right. I love it. That is, those are great thoughts and a great way to expand your knowledge and your ideas and opinions by reading other stuff and quotes. As you said, it's, it's a tight way of, of expressing something. So not only is it a study in words and the quote is inspiring in itself, but a lot of uh, quotes I'm sure would make great song titles or song lines because of just how cleverly, yeah. cleverly they're written. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, you know, we're all in a pool and we're all trying to share something that might make a difference for ourselves. And the funny thing mm-hmm. is, when we speak the truth to ourselves, it usually resonates with others because, <laughs> honestly, we're not that different from each other. 
That is so true. I want to turn to uh, the last song we're going to play here on the show, and then we'll come back and wrap it up. Uh, From Here to Eternity, which is from your self-titled debut album from 1997. The song has gone on to be a wedding song for so many couples over the years and a love song for them. And uh, it's ranked on one of the GAC charts as the number four wedding song of all time. And it it ranks up there with uh, the top love country songs of all time and probably any genre as well. Let's hear it now from my guest, Michael Peterson, from here to eternity on In the Country. Well, I did everything I could to get you here tonight without telling you why. Now, girl, if you only would Please hold out your hand Just close your eyes Well, I've been dying to ask you One burning question Will you be mine from here to eternity?
My guest, Michael Peterson, and his beautiful song, From Here to Eternity. Uh, you can head to iTunes and, and grab his self-titled debut album. came out in 1997. So many great songs on there, including that song and Drink, Swear, Steal, and Lie. And uh, he's got a brand-new album coming out March 31st with some of the songs we know of his and a bunch of cover songs, including songs made famous by Glenn Campbell and Johnny Lee and Garth Brooks and Charlie Rich is on that. I also understand uh, from what I read, Michael, that there's one original song that is going to be on this album that a couple of other people wrote called Borderline. Hmm. What can you tell me about that yeah. song? You know, the uh, producer, one of the producers of the record and the owner of the record company, uh, Stephen McClintock, has had a great history as a songwriter, written a lot of songs with Victoria Shaw, the Nelsons, Tiffany, a record producer, just a great, great guy and a good friend. He brought this song to me and said, I think there should be one original song on the record, one new song that people haven't heard before. And he said, would you consider recording this song? Mm-hmm. And I just looked at what's happening in the world today and how, you know, it seems like we have so many things that we can be divided by. You know, our politics, mm-hmm. our, our uh, I mean, metaphorically speaking, our borderlines, you know, our cultural yeah. differences, our political differences, our, I just thought, you know, maybe there's a song, unity to us, so we could at least pause for a mm-hmm. moment and step back and realize that as much as we have that diff- makes us different from each other, there's one thing that we can always choose and that's love. Love knows no borderline. And so I, you know, did not intend it as a political statement, still don't. But I really intended it as a point of unity so that we can find our way to bring respect and, uh, and uh, love mm-hmm. and some unity in spite of our differences. So that was my hope there. That's amazing. And that is another song on that album uh, to be released uh, on March 31st coming up. Very soon. Michael, I want to thank you so much for being here. What a great honor to uh, have you on the show, and just a pleasure to chat with you and to uh, share your cover of Looking for Love and a couple of your past hits, which we still love. And it's been a real pleasure. Dave, thank you so much. Thank you for the work that you're doing uh, to keep people in touch with what's happening in music that's worth listening to. Thank you so much for how great you you knew so many things and had such an interesting way of, of helping me to uh, share with your audience. I appreciate that. Really do. And appreciate your professionalism in your heart. Oh, oh thank you, Michael. That, uh, that means a lot to me. I do appreciate that. And again, uh, just a great joy here uh, on the show. I know our listeners have enjoyed it very much as well. Uh, you can check out Michael online and uh, keep in touch with all the great stuff he's doing with his music at michaelpetersononline.com. I'm Dave Woods, and that'll wrap up this edition of In the Country.